people get into a rhythm in their days of stopping to be with God, not just once a day, maybe twice a day or three times a day, and then in their weeks through Sabbath. So, uh, again, in your little card there, we hand out those cards, but we give it out. And, uh, and on our website, you can download the, you know, whatever you call the JPEG file, and you can, if you might want to consider this as you do the course in your church, give them this little card, you know, as a gift that they can carry in their wallet. And again, it's got nice little guidelines on it and kind of helps people, uh, you know, begin to, you know, wrestle with, you know, how do I, uh, okay. This is not moving for some reason, do you know what it might be? So maybe you got to check out something. So, uh, you know, take a deep breath, get a prayer word that, uh, you know, choose a prayer word. Every time you get distracted, you come back to that prayer word. Uh, back to God. So let's begin. And uh, so again, we're going to be on bottom of page 23, day two. And let's begin with two minutes of uh, stillness uh, before the Lord. Okay. Let's begin. Let's be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 37. The, the scripture together, First John uh, chapter 2, uh, 15 to 17. All right. So we'll read aloud together. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. At the end of the third century, in the deserts of Egypt, an extraordinary phenomenon occurred. Christian men and women began to flee the cities and villages to see God in the desert. They discerned how easy it was to lose one's soul in the entanglements and manipulations found in society, so they pursued God in a radical way by moving to the desert. They became known as the Desert Fathers. This is by Thomas Merton. Society was regarded by them as a shipwreck from which each single individual man had to swim for his life. These were men who believed that to let oneself drift along, passively accepting the tenets and values of what they knew as society, was purely and simply a disaster. They knew that they were helpless to do any good for others as long as they floundered about in the wreckage. But once they got a foothold on solid ground, things were different. Then they had not only the power, but even the obligation to pull the whole world to safety after them. So the question is, you know, how do you hear the words of the Apostle John today? Do not love the world or anything in the world. It's a great prayer there. Lord, in order to be with you, I need you to show me how to create a desert in the midst of my full active life. Cleanse me from the pressures, illusions, and pretensions that confront me today so that my life may serve as a gift to those around me. You know, I, I love the midday office in particular because I, I love the uh, off, you know, surrendering my will to his will. And uh, often, very often, uh, just that alone in midday, I find myself receiving correction from God about where I'm, how I'm functioning. Uh, and he invites me to a change. So with that, 
Let's surrender our will to his will and stillness before him. Amen. All right, thank you. All right, let's go to the session uh, three uh, in your books. It says, Slowing Down for Sabbath Delight. I'm on page 14. Page 14. So what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to go till three. We have an hour, and then we'll take a break. And uh, it was going to be an hour break and then come back at four. Uh, we decided let's do a, like a 15, 20-minute break, and then we'll do that last 45-minute session. So we'll close by four, 4.15. Then you could be off till you know, tonight, seven and all that. And it's a better way to go, I think, for a better break and relaxation and all that. All right? So, um, <clears throat> uh, oh, sorry, here we go. Okay, so, so again, slowing down for Sabbath delight. So, it, it, you know, again, EHS has two big components. One is uh, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. So there's that whole piece, which we've now dealt with a bit, you know, the whole, you know, genogram, we touched on that, and explore the iceberg. So that's one very large piece. But the second large piece we're bringing to our discipleship is a slow-down spirituality. So it's the two of them together that brings the unique punch. Uh, and they're, they're, they're missing pieces in our discipleship, uh, especially in the Western church, uh, that really it's biblical material that we're bringing back. And, uh, and so the second piece of what I want to talk about here in session three, and uh, now we, we, we've been doing these offices. You've had a taste of it, uh, two of them. And so, you know, you know, we're trying to get people to get a rhythm in their days. It's not just 24-7, but that I'm going to stop and be with Jesus. Now, the goal is not to stop. Uh, the goal is actually to be, to be remembering Jesus when I'm active throughout the day. That's the goal. The goal is I'm practicing his presence, like right now, where you're listening, I'm speaking. But in a sense, we can be, we're prayerful because we're in the presence of God. We're thinking of God. We're, so I can be speaking and being here doing this with you, but in a sense, I'm, I'm praying always because I'm aware of God's presence, right? That, that's the goal of the Christian life. So the stopping and pausing, this goes back to anyway, from you know Daniel and David, Psalms, and this whole thing of stopping uh, uh, and became part of the daily offices of monastics and Orthodox Jews do prayer three times a day. The goal of the stopping is to remember God when we're active. That's the point. We want to be always aware of his presence. So in the same way, we, have a, we, have an, we want to help our people. We want to develop a rhythm in our days. And for Jerry and I, when we first started doing offices, it was 2003. It was after that monastic sabbatical. We saw the power of it. Uh, and we were with Trappists that, you know, they're full-time monks. They, they meet eight times a day. I mean, three o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. It was unbelievable. They went to work. I mean, it was exhausting. But we saw the power of stopping to have a life that was just filled with God throughout the day. And so we began to incorporate it personally into our own lives, and it really changed us. I mean, it changed our lives. Uh, and, you know, pretty much three to four times a day, you know, I, I have an office. It can be very brief, especially midday, and uh, always before I go to bed, we'll do an office uh, alone or together. But, and I try to do one at dinner. Dinner's a more difficult one. But that, though, those pauses have transformed my leadership because it's made my life much more about Jesus and less about leadership, if you know what I mean. Like it's, he's my focus. And so it doesn't matter if I'm on vacation or it's a day off or a Sabbath. I'm just, I'm doing my rhythms. Because I'm, I'm first a, a seeker of God. He's my life. So whether I'm senior pastor or not pastor, or whether I'm, you know, 
not, not a pastor at all anymore. It doesn't matter. I'm still, I'm still going to have my rhythm of being with Jesus and then doing for Jesus, you know, doing my activity for him. So the, the challenge is you, we, we, can, we, can, we can lead without Jesus. It's possible to lead a church without Jesus. Uh, so Jesus warned about it in Matthew 7. You know, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And then he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform any miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. You know, away from me, you evildoers. And, and what's interesting is that these, they're doing good leadership things, prophesying, driving out demons and miracles. So they're helping people get free and better. Their lives are better. So they're doing God's work uh, and helping people. But Jesus says, I don't, I, I don't know you. Now, how could he not know them? He knows everybody. He knows the hair on our heads. He knew us in our mother's womb. But this is the word for intimacy. This is a word for intimate access. And he says, you never let me in. Like you're doing these works for me, but you, you know that Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. He goes, you've not let me in. My love and my will in your life. It, there's, there's a wall here. Like the elder brother and the prodigal son. You know, he's there, but he's not enjoying the father. And, and, and so it's possible to, especially if you've been doing it for a while and you can preach a good sermon and you know the church thing. You can almost do it without him and get away with it. And the thing could actually be growing and you're not actually connected. I know I've done it. I mean, I, I, you know, I, and then Acts 19, this great passage, these sons of Sceva, I remember they, they were driving out demons in the name of Jesus. And they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And then one day, an evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? I was like, you, you're, you don't have a relationship of loving union with Jesus that Paul does. But yet you're doing what Paul does. You're trying to copy his ministry and leadership, but you don't have the life. You don't have the inner life with Jesus that Paul does. And then I love it. It says, the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all and gave them such a beating they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. It's a great image, isn't it? And so you know, you've got this situation where you could actually like, like, you know, we're, we're, we're doing God's work without God. And it's, you know, you think of that passage of Moses in Numbers 20 where, remember, he, 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 the people complain again and he gets so angry, he hits the rock twice and he says, you rebels. And then God says, you're not, you know, basically, because you did not trust me, you're not going to the promised land. And he, he, he gets out of, I like the phrase, loving union. He gets out of this loving union with Jesus and just in his own flesh just gets crazy. Starts hitting the rocks and, 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 he, and he pays. And I, 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 I just know what it's like to, to be preparing a sermon and then I'm like, I'm running out of time. And like I'm going down a road and I felt like a God tapping on my shoulders, like this is not the right way to go. And I'm like this, we don't have time for this. You know, this is not, this is not a good time. I, I got, I got to get this sermon done. I got things to do. And, uh, you know, just doing stuff, my own, whether it's planning meetings, just going in my own strength. Cause I don't have time to think about it. Um, and, uh, so loving union is really the goal here is 
to allow Jesus and his will full access to your life and a posture of attentiveness and openness and surrender. That's the goal of our lives. We live in loving union right, with Jesus. We're married to Jesus. We're in loving union with Jesus. That's why it's so important we're not always talking. We're, we're silent and just being with him and you know, resting our head on his chest. And, but it's a relationship of loving union. That, that's, that's, he's our life. And uh, so for us as leaders, that, that's, that's like, if this is like, this is the most important thing. I mean, everything flows out of this, right? Abide, if we don't abide in Jesus, uh, there's no fruit, lasting fruit anyway. Uh, and uh, so the question is, how do I create a life with all the pressure of pastoring uh, where I can actually have a life of loving union with Jesus? Uh, that's a great, that's a, that's a great task. I've had more than one pe- person say to me, if I could only not be a pastor, I could have a great relationship with Jesus. And what I want to say to you is that it, it does not have to be that way. But it does require a level of discipline and a maturity to have a relationship with Jesus of loving union out of which we lead the church. It's like marriage, right? Our first vow is, you know, our spouses, nothing gets in the way of that. Well, our first vow is Jesus. And even the church does not get in the way of that. We do not allow the church. We, we create the rhythms for the church and saying, this is the most important thing I do for you, uh, is by not being with you sometimes, you know, in my life of prayer and a rule of life and all that. So, so, you know, again, our, we, we have lives that are compartmentalized. We kind of have our leadership in the church. We've got vacations over here. Things are in segments. What, what EHS is trying to do here is, is bring a, a holistic spirituality. All of life is spiritual. My, my whole life is Jesus. And most of us have very chaotic rhythm. Definitely our peoples do. And so, you know, this is us. You know, we're just, we're just crazy. You know, we just we feel this way on the inside. And so what I want to do is I want, I want to talk to you about Sabbath because, you know, in our short time because there's nothing that I, I think is like an oil light in a car about how do we slow down as leaders uh, our lives. And... I have found over these years, there is no one issue that crystallizes slowing down like Sabbath. Uh, that, that if people are getting Sabbath right, in general, they have got a good rhythm and a, and in terms of their leadership and slowing down. I've yet to meet someone who doesn't do Sabbath as a spiritual discipline who's, is, who's not too busy. In other words, if they're not doing Sabbath, they're generally got, they're overwhelmed. There's too much going on. There's a, there's a, there's a level of, of uh, lack of quiet in the, in the interior life. So it's it's a, it's a it's in my experience, it's a it's a huge issue for us as leaders. So I want to do I want to unpack it for a, a 20 minutes or so. I'm not going to give a massive theology, but a little one. Then I want to have, have a little discussion about it in groups, and then we'll come back together. Um, so on your notes, I think I left some notes there for you. So here it is. Uh, here's the secular rhythm. Work, 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 and then we take a vacation. Then we go to work, we take a vacation. The biblical rhythm is Sabbath work, Sabbath work, Sabbath work. That's the biblical understanding of time. Again, in the new family of Jesus, we look at calendar and time differently. So we look in terms of work and Sabbath. That's the biblical framework. So again, there's, you know, now, now there's, I'm sure you may have heard some good teaching and bad teaching on Sabbath. And uh, so we're not, there's two extremes. One extreme is legalism, 
which is like, you know, hey, if you don't do Sabbath, you're a murderer, you're an adulterer, you're breaking the Ten Commandments, uh, you must do it, it's a legalism, uh, and that's what the Pharisees had fallen into in the times of Jesus. That's one extreme. You're a bad Christian, God's upset with you, don't expect the blessing. The other saw, and blue laws, do you have blue laws up here in Canada? Blue laws, years ago, you know, Sunday, and you know, enforced civil Sabbath laws. Uh, that's one extreme. The other extreme is licentiousness, which basically is like, don't worry about it. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He fulfilled it all. It's irrelevant. Don't think about it. That's the other extreme. And what I want to put forth to you is that the biblical teaching is that practicing Sabbath is a spiritual formation discipline. Uh, it doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Bible study doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But if you're not praying and you're not reading the Bible, you're probably not growing very much. All right? They're pretty important spiritual disciplines. It's, they're more important than walking a labyrinth. Sabbath is a central spiritual discipline. It's, it's a big one. It's not a small one like journaling. It's a big one. And uh, so, you know, you'll notice it's in the Ten Commandments. And so, so it's just good to just step back. And, and I understand it's the Mosaic Law and all that. And, and, uh, but it's the longest of the Ten Commandments. And Orthodox Jews will tell you that you cannot keep the other nine commandments unless you keep the fourth. And now, when I first heard that many years ago, I thought that was stupid. I said, no, I don't do Sabbath. And I, think, I don't think I have any other gods and, you know, honoring my father and mother. But like any other teaching, it's not until you get on the inside of it that you actually get it. And I think this is much like trying to teach someone to pray who doesn't pray. It's hard to, you can only teach so much. Because Sabbath, like prayer, you have to kind of get on the inside of it. And there is some truth in that. Now, Jesus, if you ever notice, Jesus uh, in all the Gospels, he's always fighting with the Pharisees about Sabbath. Okay, it's always, like, he heals on Sabbath. He's always healing on Sabbath. Did you ever wonder why he's at the heal on Sabbath? Like, just heal on Thursday. Heal on Wednesday. Don't do it on the Sabbath. They're going to be very angry. And, but he does it. On, come on forward on Sabbath. He heals the person. Yeah, they want to kill him. I mean, he's, just, he's provoking these fights on Sabbath. And uh, because he doesn't, and Eugene Peterson's written a lot on this. Because uh, Jesus was restoring the original purpose of Sabbath. He wasn't doing away with it which was Mark 2.27. You were not made for Sabbath. The Sabbath was made as a gift for you. That's the whole point. Sabbath is a gift to receive. And, uh, oh, thank you. And so, uh, you know, Sabbath... Oh, thank you. Let me just get away from my computer. Dangerous. Dangerous, very dangerous. Um, so uh, I want you to... Let me go to the, uh, so, so there's two commands given in, in, in the Old Testament on Sabbath. First is in Exodus, second is in Deuteronomy. And it says, observe the Sabbath day, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. So, so a Sabbath day is not a day off. Peterson calls a day off a bastard Sabbath. Because it looks like a Sabbath, but it's really not. A Sabbath has certain elements to it that make it a Sabbath to the Lord our God. A Sabbath is filled with God. That's what makes it Sabbath. It's a gift I receive from God. And he goes, on it you shall not do any work, neither you, your son or daughter. Remember you were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. So he says, for 400 years you were slaves in Egypt. All you did was work, 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 work. You are what you do. And under Pharaoh, if you didn't work, there was no reason for you to exist. 
dispense with you. So just try to imagine the year is 1616, that our ancestors had been slaves since the year 1616. Seven days a week working, 365 days a year, never a day off. That's what they were. And God frees them by grace. Says, you're no longer a slave. You're my son and daughter. You're free. Think how hard it would be to have a Sabbath. Incredibly hard. Now, Pharaoh was considered a god. He was divine in the days of Moses. And so, so behind Pharaoh were powers and principalities that basically defined their existence by, what their, by their work. And work's a good thing, but to define your existence by your work is idolatry. That's, that, that's, a, that's another god. So, so when they were coming out of Egypt, they, when, you, when you talk about Sabbathing, it's a resistance to powers and principalities. Our whole culture is you are what you do, what you produce. Sabbath is, no, you're free, you can rest. You are not what you do. I love you. you your, 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 love, your worth and value is based on my creation of you and my love for you in Christ. Period. You don't have to do anything for me to love you any more or any less. It's the miracle of the gospel. So I invite you on one 24-hour period every week to just stop and rest and delight and just enjoy me, enjoy creation uh, uh, as a Sabbath. Receive it as a gift. And we're like, no. And God says, yes. So, so every time we Sabbath, we are resisting that we do not belong to the world. We belong to God. And Sabbath, you know, they will, the Jews will tell you, we don't keep Sabbath. Sabbath keeps the Jews. But the, the, part of what, what makes them a distinct people is, is the fact of Sabbath. So here's the four qualities of Sabbath. So, I, you know, this comes out of, I, I played around with Sabbath for a very long time. And it wasn't until 2003 that I, I'd come to the point realizing, no, this is really important, the Sabbath thing. So I read everything I could on Sabbath. I got to figure this out. How do we bring it to our church? And I ended up with four qualities to structure a Sabbath. And, uh, you know, different folks have some different things. These are what really helped me. And this is why I, we've used in churches. It's been very helpful. And, and, and how do I construct it? It's, it, it? So it's I stop, I rest, I delight. And I contemplate. Those four words are helpful for a 24-hour period, 24-hour period each week. That's a that's a biblical understanding of Sabbath. So let me take each one very briefly, and uh, then we'll talk about it. So on Sabbath, I pick a time, 24 hours, and I stop my work. <coughs> paid and unpaid. And uh, I I basically stop running the world. I. We all have lists of things we have to do. We all have goals. Uh, on Sabbath, I'm not finishing my to-do list. On Sabbath, I'm not accomplishing any goals. I'm not being productive. And I, am, I realize I'm the creature. I'm not the creator. And I bow before my limits that I'm not in charge. I am not in charge of the world. And God's going to build his church, not me. And, uh, you know, as one theologian has said, in the heart of the gospel is we, we, we uh, on Sabbath, we do nothing and we are loved. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, the world's changing very fast. This is from Robert Swenson's work. I mean, the speed of change going on in the world right now, he says, in the last 30 years, makes the rest of the world, in terms of change, look like a flat line. So there's so much going on around us. I mean, to keep up is exhausting. We, we'll have, I have a lot of FOMO. 
you know, the, the generations behind us are, are happening so fast that just keeping up with what's going on is just, it is a lot. And so, um, you know, somehow we've got to be able to trust, you know, what is the core work of the Christian life? It is to trust. What, what Moses do they ask Jesus? Do the works God requires? He says, no, it's not sing, plural, it's singular. This is the work God requires to trust. Constantly be trusting in the one he sent. And so basically on Sabbath, I let go that you're, you're, I'm, not gonna, I'm not running the world and making things happen and things are getting along just fine. Because when you die, you're going to find out things are going just fine. God's going to keep building the church, build the kingdom. I mean, it's amazing that when we die, things go on just fine. Every Sabbath, we taste our death, we stop our work. And Jerry likes to say she, she, she turns off the light and says, okay, God, you're in charge. She leaves the room. You got it. And uh, so I stop. You know, his wine, because there's a sense where his wine never runs out. You know, he, he, he is, you know, he's the Lord. So it's an incredible moment of trust. That's why it, it, we're so afraid what will happen if I stop, the church will fall apart, people are calling and all that stuff. And so then secondly, I rest. Uh, and and uh, I, on Sabbath, I rest. Uh, it's built into the very word Sabbath. And so I rest from things like, you know, like this, this is how most of us work. We're just, we're, we're, we're just pushing that rock up. Life is hard, and that comes from Sisyphus, where if you know the story of Sisyphus, uh, it's never enough. He, fin- he, he accomplishes one goal, you get the church to 50 people, then you got to get it to 100 people or 75 people. It's just, you, you buy a building, then you got to fix the building, then you got to pay for the building, then you got to fill the building with people. I mean, it's just, it's just constant work, and there's, there's very little rest, very little delight, and I'll tell you, that can feel like pastor. I know it did for me in the early years. I just couldn't. We finally bought a building. Then I was like, oh my gosh, now we have to fill it with people. I had a new pressure on me. And I really, I wanted, that was a moment I wanted to quit. Another one of my many moments I wanted to quit. I said, I'm exhausted right now just from buying this building, let alone filling it. And so, you know, this whole idea of just worrying all the time. And so somehow you want to rest, you know, and I, I love that cat. And, and there's my best, you know, and you know, and there's my monkey rest. So on Sabbath, I actually rest. I, 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 I let go. And, um, you know, I, re- and this is, this is, comes from a, a company in New York called B&H. Uh, it's a, some of you may know it, it's electronic firms. It's the second biggest uh, in North America after Amazon, actually, uh, and big online presence. And it's run by Hasidic Jews. And the Hasidic Jews, are, do you have Hasidic Jews here in Toronto? Do you have a community? We have a, you know, a million of them, one million in Brooklyn. So they're a very large community with their, you know, whatever they're called, curls and all that. But they, they, they run B&H. Now, B&H is in a main street in Manhattan. Uh, but every Saturday at 1 o'clock, they close. And they close until Sunday. They close all day Saturday. Now, think of all the money they're losing. They don't care. They, I, I've been there. I've been there two o'clock trying to get in. The bars are in the windows. I can't get in. I want to give them my money. They don't want my money. And so they asked them. They asked them once on a uh, after one of those uh, Black Fridays, you know, biggest shopping day of the year. How could you close on Black Friday? How could you close all day Saturday? And and here's what the fellow said. The director said. He says we report to a higher power. This is not our life. And uh, I thought of all the people in my church that will, will miss, you know, the transit workers and, or police officers. They're working all this overtime on Sunday because they want to go to Disney World, you know, for vacation. You know, I said, there's definitely something missing here, you know. And, 
And if you read stories of Orthodox Jews in concentration camps, they, they kept Sabbath because they wanted the Nazis to know that we don't belong to you. You know, we belong to God. You know, you may kill us, but we have another identity here. And, and, so, uh, and so even if you go to B&H's website, on Sabbath, if you read the small print here, you can't make an order on Sabbath. Well, I'm a little bit legalistic, you know. But it says here that, you know, only ordering is available on Saturday. Uh, online ordering is unavailable until Saturday, 7.05 Eastern Standard Time. You can browse, but you cannot make an order. Now, maybe getting a little carried away, right? But it's interesting how tight they are on this notion of, of Sabbath. So on Sabbath, we rest from things like work, physical exhaustion. We're taking naps. We're not hurrying. So on Sabbath, I'm not rushing anywhere. So I'm not trying to accomplish anything. So I'm, I'm going down the street, saying hi to the barber, you know, going for a cup of coffee, you know, talking to my neighbors, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, I'm not multitasking. I get in the car. I put my seatbelt on. We drive in the right lane on Sabbath. We're going slow. And, you know, we do one thing at a time, not listening to radio, taking notes, you know, driving, you know, doing nine things at once. I'm not trying to catch up on errands because that's unpaid work. I'm trying to do, do most of those on during the week. Uh, I'm not, you know, technology, we rest. We don't do internet. We do, wait, look up something. I'm not doing church email. One church email could wreck a Sabbath. It just takes one. So I, no emails, you know, I'm not taking phone calls from church. Uh, and, uh, you know, so for Jerry and I, we do, we take our Sabbath is from Friday night at six. <coughs> Till Saturday night at six, and uh, that's we ended up uh, at. And and uh, Paul says it doesn't matter. Paul in Romans fourteen says it doesn't matter what day it is, right? He says every day is alike, uh, but it's a rhythm, and so that works for us. And so we you have to prepare for Sabbath because you got to get stuff done so you're ready for Sabbath. So we try to stop at twelve noon on Friday uh, to get a lot of unpaid work done, and you can't work eighty hours a week and have a Sabbath. Because you've got to get a lot of other stuff done in life. Uh, and so uh, you're resting so that you actually can have a Sabbath. And again, it, Jews have been doing Sabbath for 3,500 years. I mean, they, they got it. And for them, it's like a, it's a, every Sabbath is like a wedding celebration. It's like a Thanksgiving celebration. And if you go to Israel, I had a good friend in Israel recently, and she said, you know, the kids were coming out of school on Sabbath, but before Sabbath, they're singing, they're singing a song. And she said, what are they singing? They, they're singing, it's Sabbath, it's Sabbath. Because they associate Sabbath with joy and delight. Because every Sabbath, which is our next, this is the key word here. It's stop, rest, and it's delight. On the first Sabbath, God looks at creation and it says, it is, he says, it's very good. And it's the word for, this is magnificent. This is delightful. This is beautiful. And he delights in the first Sabbath. Sabbath is meant to be a time that we delight in the gift of life. Life is a miracle. Everything from, we taste our food. We're present with people. The beautiful, you know, this is a, this is a beautiful place here. Not that I'm enjoying it, but I'm, I've seen out my window of my room. It looks beautiful out there, you know. And, but we're, 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 we're feasting on trees and creation and nature, beaches. For us, we leave New York anytime that we can on Sabbath because we love nature. We love hiking. And um, I love bookstores and museums uh, and history and music and but we're doing things that, that are delights and receiving them as gifts from God. We're letting our soul get replenished. And uh, you see, to work your soil every week and, and to work that soil and not have a rhythm is violent to your soul. And I'm sure you've all felt like I have felt. You're giving out more than you have. And it's exhausting. It's like they're sucking the life out of me here. The needs. Because you, there's not a, a, a time for the soil of your soul to rest. That's why God built in sabbatical years for the soil of Israel. Your soil, our soil just needs it. 
And, uh, and so on Sabbath, you know, you know, it's funny. I've had a Jewish rabbi say to me once, he goes, what's with you Christians, you know? Why are you so hung up on, on pleasure? You know, I said, he goes, he said, why do you guys start in Genesis 3? Like, why don't you start in Genesis 1 and 2 like we do the Jews? Because they do have a much greater theology of delight and joy. We feel guilty for pleasure. Like, we should not be enjoying this much. This goes back to Reformation. It's very interesting theologically. But, um, you know, they're into, you know, they're into parties, and, and it's amazing. So we, we have to think through our Sabbaths every week about what are we going to do this Sabbath? You know, that's going to be delightful. So we avoid draining people. We don't tell them that. But we're looking to hang with people that really give us life and enjoyable. And our kids are that for sure. Um, uh, enjoyable places. And again, New York City is not is a tough place for Jerry. She's not a city person, but we live in a really crowded place. Uh, so we look for, to get to places that are beautiful and, and, uh, and do things. Like we love going out to eat in restaurants and tasting food, et cetera. And, and so again, I, I don't work around the house. I, like, I, like I'm not, some people like puttering, like they're like, they're like fixing things. Like that's not me. Like give me a book, I'm fine. I'll sit in a corner, I'm happy. And, uh, but for other people on Sabbath, they love fixing things. And I mean, that's great. You do that on Sabbath. So the question is, what gives you delight? And that's what you need to engage in the Sabbath. This is why your family of origin genogram is important. Because if your family didn't do delight, this is very difficult. Uh, if your family didn't do rest, it's very difficult. If your family defined your identity in what you do, this is very difficult. So that's why the emotional health piece does intersect here. Uh, but then lastly, we contemplate God. I see the invisible and the visible. So, see, what makes Sabbath unique is, uh, I'm sure some of you live in beautiful places, I'm told, in some rural parts of here on Ontario, which I'm sure are incredibly beautiful. But, you see, it's not just being in a beautiful place. It's seeing God in the beauty. You're, 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 con you're conscious in a particular way on Sabbath of the miracle of God in having created this beautiful field or these beautiful mountains, or this beautiful ocean, or these beautiful flowers, or this incredible tree, and you're see, or, or this baby. And, and you're, just, you're seeing the, in, the, the, the invisible God in visible creation and all that he has made. And so I know people that live in beautiful places like Colorado, and they go for days off hiking, but they don't see God. Do you understand? They're just going hiking to get refreshed. But it's not God-filled. I'm receiving as a gift from him. Sabbath, I'm very aware of gift. And he invites me to delight in it on, on Sabbath. So I, I like what Abraham Heschel once said. He was a, he's a uh, rabbi. He says, if you don't relish and enjoy the gift of eternal life on Sabbath, because see, every Sabbath, you taste your death. Stop, rest, delight. On, on, when you die, you'll stop all your work. You'll rest. You will delight, you'll see him face to face, and you will contemplate him in all of his glory. So every Sabbath, we taste eternity. We taste, we're headed for an eternal Sabbath rest. You realize we're, we are headed for an eternal Sabbath. So every Sabbath, we taste heaven. We, we taste eternity. It's like the world's going on without us, and we are just Sabbathing in God. And he says, if you don't love the taste of eternal life on Sabbath, he says, what makes you think you're going to enjoy it when you see him face to face? Now, I was taught this. Don't rest now. There's so much work to be done. You can rest when you get to heaven. I actually had a mega church pastor just tell me that recently. Uh, you know, you can rest when you get to heaven right now. We got, we got souls to save. I mean, we, got, we got work to do on earth. 
And every moment I want to work until I, you know, until I die. And uh, you're not that important. You're not that important. And God's, God's in charge. And, uh, and I would argue that, that's like, no, Sabbath is built into how God made us. And it's one, of the, it's one of the prophetic signs we offer the world is we are not part of the culture which says you are what you do and what you produce. And uh, we are simply loved by God. And he is really in charge of the world. And our identity is we're his people. So, all right. So, oh, I love that picture of Sabbath. So, um, the question is, what will I stop doing? What will I start doing? What would it like, look like for you to have a Sabbath? Okay. So, you don't have to keep Sabbath. You say, I, I think, Pete, I think this is stupid. And, you know, and I don't want to have to. I have to keep Sabbath. You don't have to keep Sabbath. You get to keep Sabbath. It's a gift to receive, said Jesus. Now you say, I don't want the gift. I got too much work to do. Well, you can do that. God still loves you. But you're doing violence to your own soul. And you were not created to work that hard. Uh, and there's a lot of revelation that comes on Sabbath. There is a lot of revelation. I realized how much I was missing. I don't, I don't take Sabbath to hear God. But I'm telling you, when you stop, you're going to be surprised about the kind of insights and revelations you get by not looking for them and actually Sabbathing. And again, if you're a legalist perfectionist by temperament, you say, I got to get it right. And I got to, you know, that, that, that the, whole, the whole idea of getting it right kills it in the first place. That's why you have these general principles and what's going to work for you for Sabbath is not going to work for me. We're all very different people. So uh, and again, hopefully, like the daily office, it fills the rest of your week. I mean, you know, imagine being that present about seeing the invisible God and the visible creation all through the week. That would be, a, that's really a lovely goal. You know, it meant to fill our, our lives. So, okay, so here, here's, here's some questions. And I want you to get in groups for 15 minutes, in groups of three or four. Now, what questions do you have regard, regarding Sabbath keeping? Now, I just threw out a very quick theology for you. But, but just theologically, what? What are, what are questions you're carrying, you know? And, and uh, I want you to kind of write a couple down in, in your groups. And then what 24-hour period might serve you at this phase of your journey? So, for example, if Monday's your day off, then I would just say turn that day off into a Sabbath. And how can you take those four qualities and make it a Sabbath? What would, that, what would have to happen for that to happen? Um, then what do you need to stop that relates to your work, paid and unpaid? How would you do this? If you're, if you're a solo pastor, some of you are bi- bivocational. So you've really got some challenges. What about kids and those kinds of things? How, how do I handle that? Emergencies. Uh, and what activities, now this is really, I, I've had situations, I, what activities create rest and delight? I, people say, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't have any hobbies. I, I just do work. I just work. And uh, so the question is, what does create rest for you and delight? This was a very big learning curve for me because my, I did not do play. I had to learn to play play. And uh, uh, Moltmann, who's a German theologian, wrote a whole book on God as a playful God, theologically, out of the Trinity. That when we play, we actually reflect part of the image of God who plays among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the pericaresses of the Trinity. It's really fascinating. Um, and when we delight as well. So, all right. So, uh, I'm going to invite you to get in groups of three or four right now. And here's your questions. And uh, just form a little group. Move your chairs, if you could. And uh, then we'll come back together. So I want to ask you to...
as your group meets, write down one or two questions and just have someone bring it up here and drop it at the table. Okay, I need you to write down some of your questions. I got a couple already, and she's got paper, shield if you need it. Uh, and, and pass them up here, okay? So finish your conversation. Write down one or two questions you've got in your groups, and I'll take a few before we go for our break. All right, so I just talked to Amy back there from Scarborough Baptist Church. That was called, Amy? So we'll just take Amy, if you don't mind, Amy. Uh, so the average Chinese pastor is going to work a good 80-hour week, 90-hour week. We are actually working with a Korean church that's got 75,000 people in it. 75,000. So they wanted to do EHS and bring it to the whole country. And we said, well, you have to live it first. So we said, let's not even talk about bringing it to the church. So anyway, we, we met with like, we said, let's just do eight pastors and spouses. Get them in a room. So I had one of the pastors put on a, on a sheet. Let, let's do your, your average work week. And it turned out it was 115 hours. 115 hours. So, but that's the average work week of like a, a person at Samsung. So they said we, we would get so criticized if we ever Sabbath. Like we would be, it would be such a shameful. Th- it was an incredible. So it was, we, we're still in the, you know, we're in it. You know. They believe it, but they said that our culture, we can't do it. And Chinese culture is not that severe, but it's up there. Uh, you know, it's not uncommon for us in our church. We got a, you know, Chinese American person she's not only a medical doctor she's also an oral surgeon like you got two degrees i barely graduated college i don't understand i mean it's just like it was just the the educational levels and attainment doesn't mean they have emotional maturity they can be emotional infants relationally but intellectually geniuses and very underdeveloped uh so anyway so amy's got this challenge i'm a female pastor so you got you know how do i do as a female pastor well obviously now we're getting to all kinds of issues like you know i know your husband's here you know, and how, how, we do gen, how we do parenting, how we do the house and sex, sexism issues. Uh, but the, the primary issue, I would argue, my experience with Chinese uh, folks in our church, we have about 100, 200 people uh, from different, you know, Hong Kong and Taiwan, et cetera. But it's, it's the 5,000 years of Chinese history, which is so deep. It is just so deep. And so you talk about Sabbath thing, you were talking about. See, the pharaohs that we're dealing with are not external they're internal pharaohs. It's the internal guilt. I don't deserve this. What, why would I get to delight? You know, in the shame of like being non-productive. Uh, it just breaks so many commandments. It's very hard for me to do. So I, I would. I, it takes a lot. How, it takes a lot. How do you manage the rhythms of family, spouse, children around Sabbath? So again, it depends on what age your children are. So if you've got small children, you're blessed. Because you can now create a something with your small children that they, when they think of Sabbath, they think of fun. Uh, so in other words, uh, we have families in our church that meant Sabbath, you're, you're doing things like you're, you're not depriving them of things. Uh, where they think of Sabbath, you're, you're creating like play and give them extra candy. You know what I mean? You're, they're, they're, they have you for a day. Like my youngest daughter of our four, we really got Sabbath when she was young enough that to this day, she's now a 21-year-old college student. She just, she loves Sabbath. She says, I'm not studying today. That's her work, is study. 
you know, and uh, when she associates Sabbath, she thinks of joy. She thinks of delight. That, that, that's her immediate association with it. And that's what, that was our goal. Because she knew that she had us on Sabbath. You know, and she was just, it was just a great day for us. It was a delight day, and, and we made it in such a way that it was that way for her. So, and again, spouses are different. Jerry and I have a lot of similarities, but we are different people. So she's so into hiking and camping, and I was not into any of that stuff. I got into it, you know, because I wanted to be with her on Sabbath. So, all right. And I've come to love those things. But we do sometimes go our separate ways on Sabbath, you know, because I really will want to go to a museum in Manhattan, an art museum or Museum of Natural History. And, you know, Jerry doesn't last very long in those places, you know. <laughs> she's looking for a park. She's looking. So, so we just diverge, you know, as I meet you at dinner. Uh, and uh, we love eating out. Uh, that's definitely, you know, a big thing. We, we, when we were, our kids were younger, we got babysit. We started spending money on babysitting. That was a big thing. Uh, and teaming up with other parents, because we just needed a break. We actually did this for a while in the early days of Sabbath, was uh, we'd say half the day you've got the kids, you know, till one, and then I'll take them, you know, from one to six. So in other words, you go do whatever you want and be because really we wanted to be alone. And so sometimes we, we diverged and went those two separate ways. So you have to make accommodations. If you have a special needs child, that's a reality. If you've got parents who are now you're taking care of, that's going to impact Sabbath. So you've got it. Let's not get perfectionistic. It's a principle that so I, I nursed or cared for my parents with my siblings. They both had three-year illnesses, slow declines, each at separate times. That's six years. So managing Sabbath around that dynamic, but I did it differently on Sabbath when I went and saw them. And uh, so you've got to just, you know, make those accommodations. Should you practice together Sabbath as a couple? You know, should you? You don't have to, but it's wonderful. It's great if you both have the same days to have a Sabbath. It's ideal. But taking into uh, account your differences and your ability to negotiate that. Uh, and definitely with children, it should look different. Can you have two 12-hour Sabbaths instead of one 24-hour Sabbath? <laughs> and uh, so it might be good to start at, as a 12-hour. Just, just start, uh, listen, I had one Malaysian bishop. He had to start with a three-hour Sabbath. Three. And it was torture because we couldn't find out what would give him delight for three hours because he just worked morning, afternoon, and night. And he had 350 churches under him and, you know, 80,000 people and one of those things. And so he just, he'd been doing it for so many years, he didn't, he could not imagine a life with delight and joy and pleasure. It just was not part of the culture. So, but I would, but I want to be clear to you that Sabbath in the Bible is a 24-hour chunk of time. Uh, and so we just like, and, and so we, we encourage a lot of couples that are, our family, our families at, or our individual singles at church to either do Saturday night from 12 to 12 or all day Sunday because those are natural blocks and you got worship right built into it for folks in our churches or do Friday night to Saturday night um, as a secondary measure but for people most people in our churches we encourage them to do Saturday night to, to Sunday night and uh, or all day s Sunday because some people have to work on Sunday night to get ready for Monday if, if they're in management they got to think through things so um, so I, I do Friday night to Saturday night because when I'm preaching, in case I got to get up there and check out that sermon again. But one of my biggest issues I'm, uh, as pastoring is letting that sermon go. Because sermons are never finished. But when's a sermon done? You know, you know, in some ways, you never know until it's coming out of your mouth. Right? You hope, oh God, I hope this comes out right. Because you know? there is a, a faith element in that. So I, I have to trust God with the sermon. But 
we found, and if Jerry was here, she would say this, my sermons had a quality difference pre and post this whole journey of slowing down, Sabbath and offices, because I was less concerned about all the mechanics of my sermon and much more concerned about my centeredness in Jesus. So I came at it that the best thing I could bring to our church on a Sunday was not a clever sermon with great opening illustrations and clever points. And, you know, you're crazy looking for an illustration. I'm just saying, you know what? I'm going to bring this. This message is on fire in my soul because it's so penetrating me. And I may not have found an opening illustration, but I don't care. I gave it all I got, and I, I accept the limits. And I'm going to bring the best I've got. And I, my sermons really, I think they really, Jerry would say they definitely improved when I, when I started Sabbathing because I stopped, so my anxiety went down. Now, I still put a ton of work into my sermons, but I just practiced letting go, you know, more. And so I encourage you to do that. Is checking, is checking things off a list and organizing your life bring you joy? Is that Sabbath? <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, I, I, I have no problem with that. I, but as you know, it's like anything. Jerry and I, try, we, in New York, we don't have a lot of land, a little, you know, small little piece of grass, you know. So we planted a garden one year. And so we said, let's go out for Sabbath. Let's go get our, let's get our fingers in the soil. So we get in there, and before you know it, like, we're getting crazy. We're weeding, and it was like two hours into it, we looked at each other, and we said, this is, this is awful. We are so, un- we're not enjoying ourselves at all. So we just said, let's stop. This, is, this isn't working. But we tried, because a lot of Sabbath is trial and error. I took dance lessons one, one year. I took ballroom dancing. Alone. And uh, I just wanted to try it. And uh, my wife said it was a waste of money. <laughs> so, but you're, you're looking for what, what kind of things bring you joy and delight. That's the beautiful thing. I, one guy took up saxophone lessons, and one guy took up judo, and people, so people have all kinds of things. It's like what, finding things that give you joy and delight. We are definitely nature people. We are beach people. I am just so happy being at the, at the New Jersey shore. And... Uh, if you have younger children or teens, how, how do they practice Sabbath? It's just really hard. I, I, I just, you know, teenagers, you really, you, you, you know, at that point, they're, they're semi-adults. It's very difficult to obligate them. You invite them, but they're, we didn't, we didn't, we did not push our kids. At our church, not everybody does Sabbath. I want you to know that. Like, if you're on staff and you're a paid employee, uh, the expectation is that you'll Sabbath. In fact, if you do not have a Sabbath, you will not be on our staff long term because you're not a good model to our church. And uh, so it's, we have a rule of life that we commit to as a pastoral staff team. And part of that rule of life is you will have a Sabbath. We don't all have the same Sabbath day. Some it's Monday, some it's Saturday, some it's Friday. But, you know, you're going to have a, a regular Sabbath, and you're modeling it for the church. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah. we did let go one person who worked too much. We couldn't stop her. And, uh, and she was doing fine. We just, it just, her life was just consistently out of control. We, we could not slow her down. And so for us, it was not, it was a value for us that we did not feel it was a, it was hurting. She didn't, she couldn't see all the hurt it was doing to her ministry. She was somewhat, quote, effective, but not as nearly as effective as she could have been if she was grounded more deeply in God and uh, had a life. And of course, her marriage was suffering. And we didn't want to participate in hurting a marriage. We weren't going we to let that happen. Not at our church. Uh, marriages are first. And if this ministry is hurting a marriage, this is not the right place for you. God's got another place for you in the body of Christ, but not in senior leadership here. Um, if you don't know what delights you, how do you figure that out? That, that was, I, there's a lot of people in that situation. 
And that clearly goes back to your family of origin, uh, maybe your church culture, a theology of, you know, a whole understanding of creation and theology. So I, I, I would encourage you to experiment. And it's going to take a while. If you start experimenting with Sabbath, it's going to take you a while to figure this thing out. I mean, the Israelites didn't just get Sabbath. If you read the, you know, Pentateuch, they were had a lot of stops and starts and and because they were 400 years, work, 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 and all of a sudden, Sabbath. Like, oh my gosh, rhythm. So you're going to like go, you leave here and say, I want to try this Sabbath thing. I can assure you you're going to try it, it's going to fail. I mean, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this didn't work. But I can assure you of this, if you actually taste how good it is, it will, it will, it will pull. You, you'll say to yourself what every, every leader has said at New Life Fellowship, who's gotten to Sabbath, say, how did I ever live without this? How did I ever function as a leader without a consistent Sabbath? Because you realize your body was made for that rhythm. Your, 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 your soul, your emotions, your spiritual life needs it. So occasionally we have to switch our Sabbath. You know, probably three times in a year we'll switch because events are happening at church. I don't do weddings anymore. Um, so that's why I was able to do Saturdays. But, um, uh, I, when, I mean, the few, few times we've missed Sabbath, I mean, it's like it feels so violent. We, we almost always have to switch it. But, um, okay, what do you do with Sabbath for church members who volunteer at church on Sunday, right? And um, so what we do is, uh, this is not their work. You're a carpenter, you're a teacher, you're a lawyer. That's your vocational paid work. So hopefully you're volunteering in something you love and enjoy. So we have three services on Sunday. If you're in children's church, we hope that you're not serving from 8 a.m. until 2.30 p.m. But maybe you're doing one service. Or you're ushering one service. You're not ushering for six hours. So, and now, like, for example, choirs and worship teams, they generally love, they're, they're like, they want to be at all three services. We just got to make sure their spouses, or if they're married, are not sitting home alone, you know, because they're enjoying themselves, you know, playing their guitar. But uh, we call it emotionally healthy serving. We don't want anybody over-serving. But we want balanced serving. And this is our family gathering on a weekly basis. So we do things like change the toilet paper. Like we're not against serving. Like we're not legalistic about this thing. But uh, we do. Ex- we want people to serve. And uh, hopefully it's out of the overflow of your life. And we make it very clear this is not your work. But it is our work. Uh, if I, you know, if you're a paid or vocational pastor. So what about rabbis? They lead services on that part of Sabbath. And, and I, I, you know, again, we're... we're we're in this new covenant, and it's, it's a spiritual formation practice. Uh, and Paul does relativize the days of the week and says, you know, they're fighting about which days of the week of holy days and Sabbaths, and Paul says every day is alike, you know. And so uh, I don't think we're constricted to it having to be on a Sunday. For us who are vocational pastors, that we just pick, a, pick, a, pick the same day every week. That's the key, and keep it. And then we treat vacations like sabbaticals. Uh, you have holidays, you know, you have your own Canadian Thanksgiving. You've got certain holidays built into your culture that we treat every holiday as a Sabbath. So we have extended sabbaticals, Sabbaths. So we have a three-week vacation or five-week vacation in the summer. That's a sabbatical. And we think about it and plan that vacation. We don't even call it vacation. We call it to ourselves. We call it vacations to other people, but we know it's a sabbatical. And we do stop, rest, delight, and contemplate as we plan out our vacation to make sure that we are anchored in God and we come back from vacation filled with Jesus. I meet many pastors that go on vacation and they come back and they feel far from God. 
because that's a clear indication that you've got a compartmentalization, and that's a problem. So seeing it as a sabbatical is a great thing. And hopefully, I don't know if you guys do sabbaticals, but uh, all right, let me do a couple more, and then we'll close here. How do I disengage my mind from the daily activities when I'm on, you know, not at the workplace? I'm thinking about church. Absolutely. Aren't we all? And so that's the great challenge of Sabbath is like, you know, things are coming to mind. I'm like, ah, you know, you know, I may make a note of something, but part of Sabbath is, you know, hopefully you're going to shift your lifestyle the other six days where you're not cramming so much in that your head is so flooded. If your head is so flooded, when, and that happens to me sometimes, that's an, a, a sign that I'm too busy. I'm doing more than God has given me to do. And my mind is so cluttered, I'm not sleeping at night. And now it's Sabbath, and I'm thinking about all these problems at church, and I've got, I'm giving three different talks, you know, Monday or Tuesday. You know, something, something's wrong here. And you want to receive that as, okay, I made a mistake. Don't beat yourself up. I'm going to make some adjustments going into the next week. And, uh, okay, let me, uh, I've got a whole bunch. Okay, let's, uh, last one. Let me look at my list here. Uh, how do I go about deciding what's ac- acceptable and unacceptable on Sabbath? And uh, the answer to that question, very simple, is uh, that's going to have to be an individual decision. You know, we go to movies, we go to plays, you know, but we're thoughtful. about. It. I'm not going to a movie maybe filled with some kind of, you know, in, in, you know intense sexual scene that's not going to be good for me spiritually. I mean, I'm like, I'm, we're very aware of what we're doing on Sabbath because it's a day of stopping and resting and delighting and contemplating God. So let me stop here, and I want to encourage you to, to try it. Okay, give yourself, we're going to experiment with Sabbath. Uh, there is a chapter in the Emotionally Healthy Leader book. Uh, a real, there's a good chapter in spirituality. It's shorter, but there's a pretty robust chapter in the uh, Emotionally Healthy Leader book. I would encourage you to read it again and try it. I promise you that if you taste how good it is, you will never go back. And unlike Jewish culture, we don't have a culture in it among you know Christians and pastors. Uh, and then our, our leaders at our church, I think most of our leaders, Sabbath, not a rank and file at a church, no, nah, I mean, it's in the culture, but we're, we don't want to push it too hard in terms of, we talk about it a lot because we don't want it to become a legalism. And we're sensitive to that. So, okay, thank you. Let's take our break for uh, 20 minutes or so, get a cup of coffee.